Redbird Buzz. I'm Rachel Kobus from Alumni Engagement. Today's guest, Dr. George Pruitt, received a Bachelor's in Biological Sciences in 1968, a Master's in Counseling Education in 1970, and was named an honorary degree recipient in 1994, all at Illinois State University. He is one of the longest-serving public university presidents in the nation, with 35 years at Thomas Edison University, where he is now a Board Distinguished Fellow. He is active in the formation of educational policy nationally and within the state of New Jersey, and has consulted widely in business and government. He has served in an advisory capacity to five secretaries of education under three presidents of both parties. He is the recipient of six honorary degrees in addition to numerous awards, honors, and commendations. Much of his life and impact can be read in his recently published book, From Protest to President. And here we are with two-time alum and an ISU honorary degree recipient, Dr. George Pruitt. So, Dr. Pruitt, what's the word, Redbird? Can you share a little bit about yourself? Sure, be, be happy to, and thank you for having me. Uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I was born in a little town called Canton, Mississippi. You know, most Black folks from Chicago, their families are from Mississippi. And if you go into Mississippi in the summertime, they're full of cars with Illinois license plates because people are visiting their uh, their relatives, and in my case, my grandparents. Yeah. Uh, so I I uh, grew up in you know two places, particularly during the time that I was there, that were segregated, oppressive, and violent, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that certainly shaped my my view of of, of things. I went off from uh, after I graduated from Hirsch High School in Chicago. I went off to the University of Illinois in Champaign. Yes, yeah. And I was there for my first five semesters of my undergraduate life. When I went to Champaign, there were 35,000 students and only 250 black students there. And I don't know if, I never heard or saw of any black member of the faculty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, right. I transferred in the second semester of my junior year to Illinois State University. And it changed the arc of my life. And I would like to believe that the things that happened there that, that I was involved in a whole, with a lot of other people also changed the arc of the university. I agree. I'm, really, I'm really proud of that. Yes. When I got to ISU, there were about 17, 18,000 students and only 135 black students. Yes, yeah. Uh, and we wanted to address that. Mm-hmm. And so we organized the Black Student Association. I was elected the first president and we promptly took over the president's office. And yes. the president's, yep. president's office issued our non-negotiable demands, which is what you did in that period. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of tension when we did that because we didn't know what to expect. But fortunately, we were lucky that Sam Brayton was the president yeah. of uh, to Illinois State, he was an extraordinary man. Yes. And uh, he sent his team to negotiate with us. And out of that came the HBS program and a lot of other things. Yeah. But that's how I got to ISU. That's how I started in the activism that I think has continued to this day. Actually, it probably started before I got to college. Oh, I'm sure. 
when I was at Hirsch, we were part of the first organized boycott of the Chicago Public Schools in 1963. Oh, wow. So it actually started in high school. Yeah. But uh, people say that I'm a product of the 60s. I'd like to say the 60s were a product of us. I like that, too. That's very inspirational. You're very right. Well, and we're going to dive in a little more about your career and how you've become one of the longest serving university presidents in the United States. But like you said, it started maybe in high school, but definitely at Illinois State University. And, you know, there's a reason you received an honorary degree from ISU. And remind you, Dr. Pruitt has six honorary degrees, but one is from Illinois State University. And you've done extraordinary things in your career. And you touched on this a little bit that the great impact started when you were a student. So can you talk about your time? You mentioned this as a student negotiator, when you try to focus on that recruitment of the black student population at Illinois State and working through those policies to make a more diverse and inclusive campus for Illinois State. What was it like to be in that position? Well, it, uh, it, it, it was a great privilege. I had some extraordinary classmates people like Al Perkins and Deborah Lindsay and Ron Montgomery and uh, Jim Tate, mm -hmm. who I got to Hirsch with. Uh, when we started that, we, were, we didn't know what we were getting into. It actually started me in higher education because when I went to ISU, I majored in biology, I minored in chemistry. Yes. I saw my future in the, in the sciences. I was I seriously looked at being a doctor uh, from the time I was five years old, uh, when I was born in Canton, my uncle was the only black doctor in town. Yes, yeah. He delivered me. I named after me after him. I followed him around everywhere. <laughs> I helped him deliver a baby out in the country when I was twelve years old. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> you really were on that path then. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but when I got to ISU and we began to engage with each other first mm -hmm. about what we wanted to make, the, the kind of Illinois State University that we wanted to have, yeah. the kind of ISU we thought it could be that it wasn't. And fortunately, we were, when we issued our demands on the other side of the negotiating table, were some wonderful people that I think were kind of waiting for us to do what we did. They just needed you. We didn't know that at the time. We didn't yeah. know whether we were going to get arrested. We didn't know whether we were going to get put out of school. We didn't know whether we were going to get beaten. Yeah. yeah. And all of those were possibilities. And all of those things were happening to other students at other universities that were doing what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So we didn't do it lightly. It, it was very, very intentional. But fortunately, President Braden picked two people to be on the other side of that table. One was a guy named Paul Wisdom, who's an extraordinary guy. And the other one was a, another Illinois State University icon, Kenneth A. Shaw, mm -hmm. yes. uh, who graduated from ISU, went on to be a president at Southern Illinois, president of the University of Wisconsin, and had a distinguished career as president in Syracuse. Yes. His nickname was Buzz. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I met Buzz and Paul. And the negotiations turned into a collaboration. And the thrust of our, quote, demands yeah. were in three areas. We wanted to increase the number of African-American students. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was just horrible that the oldest public university in Illinois only had 150 yes. African-American students. We wanted to increase the number of students, we, and we wanted to increase the number of faculty and staff 
Charles Morris was a what is a wonderful. He, yes, he is. Yes, he was a professor of math. Kim Cox was in the biology department. Harry Shaw was an, an, an administrator and also a, a graduate of ISU. Huh? Those were the only three African Americans there, and they joined with us uh, and and were very supportive of what we were trying to do. So we wanted to increase the numbers of students, mm -hmm. faculty, and administrators. The other thing we wanted to do was we wanted a, a, a thorough examination of the curriculum at ISU so that it was more factually factual about the conditions of our country, our history, our evolution. We wanted some diversity in the curriculum and the scholarly work of the university. And the third area, we wanted attention to what I call student life issues. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that, so that uh, uh, Illinois State and the normal community would be a more hospitable place for sense. people of color. Yes. Uh, we also had concerns about the city of Normal. Housing was restricted for people of color in Normal. There was a open, there were open housing marches that came from faculty and students into the town of Normal. Mm -hmm. Marches were attacked. George Taylor, who had been recruited from Howard University as assistant dean of students, George was hit in the face with a bottle. My goodness. Um, so when people look at quiet, sleepy, nice, peaceful Illinois State, it was none of those things yes. when we were there. Mm -hmm. uh, we did what we did at great risk. And what the wonderful thing about it is we were able to engage in the institution with willing partners. We, we loved the place. We weren't trying to attack it or tear it down. We wanted to make it better. Yes. We found partners that wanted the same improvement, and we had a colleague and friend in Sam Baden and in Buzz Shaw mm -hmm. and in Dick Bond, who was the dean of the faculty, and in Richard Stewart, who was the vice president of student affairs. Oh, yes. Even Eric Johnson, who was fairly reluctant to come to the table, who was the administrator and finance vice president. Uh, so a lot happened because of that partnership. And the arc of that university, at least from my judgment, culminated when uh, when the university chose Al Bowman as its first African-American president. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Al got appointed president. He made a comment that the best thing for him was that nobody noticed that he was black. <laughs> well, I, you know, I had at the time, and I still had, I pushed back on him on that. I said, Al, you may not have noticed, but everybody else noticed. Yeah. And the arc of that started with what we did in 1967 through 1970. And I'm very, I'm very proud of that. Yes, yes. And you should be. And it, and now you see ISU for what it is today, that there's still obviously always time to grow, but there's so much that has grown because of, of the impact that you, and like you said, the few fellow students there. And one of that was you continued on at Illinois State, um, helping with the high potential student program. That is something that came out of your negotiation negotiations and working with Illinois State. So can you talk about how that program and what it is and how it made an impact at ISU? Well, that, yes, that was the centerpiece of the student recruitment initiative. Okay. We wanted to attract uh, African-American students there, but our challenge was to make sure we found people that could deal with the institution that not only had the, actual, the intellectual capacity to okay. do that, that was the easy part. Mm -hmm. But we also needed to do to find students that had the self-concept strength and fortitude where they could deal with the alienation and isolation of being a, living in a goldfish bowl yeah. uh, at a place that 
at least was at best was indifferent to us and at worst overtly hostile to us. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And we uh so we had to deal with five students that could be successful in the university as it was, not as we wanted it to be. Uh -huh. Yes. And we created teams of students to go back to their home communities and use their relationships and their credibility yeah. to talk about what we were trying to build and ask people to be a part of it. And we were very successful. Yeah. And we doubled the enrollment of American students in one year. Mm -hmm. And we started the High Potential Students Program. That was that was the name of it. Uh, Charles Morris was the name uh, titular director, but my job was operationally, I was responsible for running it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, I, I, I talk about this in my book and I need to plug my book. Oh yes, please. I was gonna plug your book in the next question, but you go for it first. All right. <laughs> uh, at the end of my career, as you mentioned, I was president of Thomas Edison for 35 years. I wrote a memoir. And the memoir is entitled From Protest to President. And the protest part of that, which actually led to the, to the presidency, all of that started at ISU. And that's why I, I'm so happy to be here because I wanted people that love the ISU of today as I do know how it got to be that way yes. and the struggle and effort and risk and energy of a whole lot of people over a long period of time that uh, that got it that way and not only did we recruit the students that we did with some intentionality the word got out mm -hmm. and so we began to attract mm -hmm. other students and the momentum got built mm -hmm. there was a serious and genuine effort to recruit faculty and staff people of color to come to the campus. And that created its own uh, momentum. We were also concerned about uh, the quality of the student work of the students that we got. We did not, we wanted people that would be successful. And they were, and so we were really concerned that these students be were high achieving. Yeah. And the graduation rate of the HBS students and grade point average of the HBS students was higher than that of the university average. That's amazing. Not only did these students survive, they excelled. Yes, yeah. And uh, and I was happy about that. There was a there was and still is this false dichotomy that to increase access you have to lower standards. Mm -hmm. That is not true. Yeah. And it's unfortunate where people make that assumption and do that. Yep. The challenge is there. there's plenty of talent. It's a matter of attracting and recruiting and, and giving the students the conditions to be successful and they will be and they were at yes. ISU and I was very, I was very proud of that. Mm -hmm. uh, after I was there for a while, I went to school while I was working at the HBS program and got my, my master's mm -hmm. in Illinois State University. And part of the group that I worked with on the other side of the table begin to leave. Mm -hmm. Yes. Fisher, who yeah. was also an ISU alumnus, went away as president of Towson, where he served his 10 years, transformed the institution, wrote, became one of the nation's leading authority on the presidency, wrote 14 books on the presidency. Wow. Case, the Council for Advancement of Sports Education. There's a James Fisher Award in his honor. Wow, yes. Yeah. So when Jim left ISU, again, where he graduated, and went to Towson. He, he took Bud Shaw with him as his mm -hmm. chief. Advancement yeah. Paul Wisdom went with him as his chief advancement officer. Yeah. I ended up following a year later as dean of students. Yes. That's how I got into higher education. Yeah. 
what I mean about the entire arc of my life changing. I abandoned my, my pursuit of medicine. I also figured out along the way, and I still love the scientists today. I've been on the boards of two hospitals, yeah. I'm healthcare. I'm still invested in it. the science and medicine fascinates me. But I figured along the way that I really didn't want to be a doctor. I wanted to be my uncle because I idolized him. Mm -hmm. If he had been a plumber, I would have wanted to have been a plumber. Got it. Yes. When I was at ISU and in that period with those people that I worked with and the experiences that I had, I found my calling. And it changed my life. And uh, everything that happened after that started with the transformation that happened at, uh, at ISU. Yeah. I really mean that when I say that it changed the arc of my life, but I also mean it that we changed the arc of Illinois State University too. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say is it, I really encourage our listeners to find from protest to president and Dr. Pruitt's story, because I, I've only gotten halfway through and it is very inspiring and it very much tells what it was like, what it is today. And not just ISU, but higher education in general, what has been impacted and how you, Dr. Pruitt, have been a champion among that too. So um, again, and we can call you our, our Redbird and our alum, and we're very fortunate for that. And it made me laugh. I have to just say this, it's very random, maybe derail us a little, but it made me laugh a little bit when I was reading uh, a part of your book, when you were given the honorary degree at Illinois State. And you said it was extra touching for this, given all the trouble and headaches you gave the campus leadership. And I laughed because in the end, um, I think it, Dr. Braden, a lot of the administration were there to celebrate you and your honorary degree too. So as much as you were humbled, you, like you said, there was an arc and an impact that you made on ISU that people recognize that. But for you to still say, I laughed at the headache part because I thought that was, I thought that was a little chuckle right there. <laughs> that was that was special because, you know, I I hope the book reflects that the struggle we had was not easy. Yes. I write about in the book, I was put in protective custody because my life had been threatened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was, there's a very interesting article in, in one of the ISU publications talks about the days of May. Yes. The flagpole incident. And I was right in the middle of that. We had, we had become attached very, very close to Fred Hampton the activist leader in Chicago, mm -hmm. who was killed by the police. And when Fred was killed, it was a deep personal loss to us. It was not just another assassination and a decade of assassinations. It, it was close and, uh, and personal. And a guy named Lonnie Pruitt, who was a freshman, and Lonnie and I are not related, but we would, we would laugh about that. He was a mm -hmm. freshman. Lonnie was hurt, heartbroken, and he just went to the flagpole and lowered the flag to half mass. Yes. And uh, it was just an act of, uh, he, he was angry, he was hurt, there was no thought to it. And I found out that he had done that. And I went and joined him. And so the two of us stood there, and then as we stood there, others came and joined us. Mm -hmm. uh, that led to a lot of demonstrations, a lot of drama, some violence. Although I'm proud to say that of all the transformation that took place in Illinois State, we were the only public university that, that, that had no, no significant violence or property damage, while other campuses were literally on fire. Yes. I was in President Braden's first class when I got my baccalaureate degree. Mm -hmm. 
that this last class when I got my master's, wow. he was an extraordinary man. And I'm delighted that that facility is named after. And usually you don't get your name on a building after just three years as president. Yeah. So literally when I had dinner with him the night before, the, it was important to me because uh, I kept Sam Braden up a lot of nights, me and my <laughs> colleagues. <laughs> I mean, he, he uh, the, the one downside of that is that he decided that after all he went through with us, he didn't want to be a president anymore. Okay. Yeah. And he resigned and that was a terrible loss. But it's a statement to him and who, the importance he was of steering the school through such a pivotal time that he was celebrated. So when I had dinner with him, I also told him some things about some events that he didn't know about and how, and how they happened. <laughs> well, you I insights too. Secrets that uh, he found, he, I guess he said, he, he found, found really interesting. Mm -hmm. But uh, the things that went on in my career, I left Illinois State and went to Towson State, mm -hmm. and then Morgan State, a historically black college in Tennessee State. Went through. I, I want you to get to the chapters of the book about Tennessee State because that was a very dramatic and historic kind of transformation as well. And I think you'll We'll, we'll talk again after you read that part of the book. Okay, sounds good. I was like, let's not let's not spoil it either. We want people to read the book too. Right. <laughs> but good to know. It's like dun dun drama. But that's what it uh, it's all about. Is it takes it takes courage, it takes vision, it takes structure, and it takes drama and it takes tragedy to make something as impactful as what you went through. So uh, even when you talk about President Brady being there for three years, as it maybe took a toll on him, but you're you you and the campus and President Braden, I think, did great things for ISU, like you said. So um, it takes a lot. And I don't think people realize that until they get to read some part of history from someone that actually went through it that helped create it. So I was going to keep saying thank you throughout our whole uh, our whole interview. <laughs> um, but then you know, you you moved on and like you said, into different administrative roles, higher education became your path and your calling, it seems like. Um, and then I kind of wanted to change gears. You you went from empowering the traditional student and those um, maybe underrepresented, but in a different capacity as you went on into the Council for Adult and Experiential Learning, I believe, which instead focuses on adult learning. So what made you interested in a non-traditional student and their learning path? Well, it started, it actually started a little bit at Towson. You know, Towson was the uh, second largest public institution in the state, second only to Maryland College, College Park. And they have, it was a traditionally student body, okay. but they had an evening program. And uh, I taught an evening class at a local military base. Mm -hmm. And we had a snowstorm in Maryland. And in Maryland, as we were talking earlier, yes. in the East Coast, particularly in Maryland, in Baltimore and Washington, they freak out if there's a heavy dew, let alone <laughs> they just close down. I mean, they just so I had never heard of the schools being closed because the entire time I was in Chicago and college, we I never heard they of just go. Yep. So I taught this evening class and, and Towson to canceled classes. And I thought, well, maybe they may not have gotten the word. Okay. And on my way to my car, I was going to meet with the class anyway. So I drove to where the class was. On the way to my car, I could hear the students celebrating that classes were out and heading <laughs> to the parties around the campus. They were just happy. 
you got to this course class and the entire everybody was there every single oh, wow. student, even the ones that had heard that the school was closed and they were angry they were anxious about that what do you mean cancel classes we paid for this course if we cancel classes are we going to make it up do we get a refund mm -hmm. and I'm, All right. this is different yeah yes <laughs> and, uh, when I got when I was at Tennessee State, I was approached by uh, some colleagues at Kale that I had known uh, at Kale about would I work with them to try to get the involvement of historically black colleges in the adult learning yes. movement because most historically black colleges are traditional aid students. Mm -hmm. Tennessee State, as it was in Nashville, and Morgan State, as it was in Baltimore, or in metropolitan areas with access to adult student populations. Yeah, and that's where I got involved. Uh, with with Kale. And when I left Illinois State, I'm sorry, when I left uh, Tennessee State, I went to Kale as executive vice president and chief operating officer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I found was a whole nother universe, but there was an ISU footprint even in that. All right. Because if you look at the scholarly work that the whole adult education movement is based on, yeah. you'll see right in the middle of it, Kay Patricia Cross. Pat Cross was a mm -hmm. distinguished Illinois State alumnus. She was one of the leading scholars after she went to Harvard, and she was writing as a faculty was a member of Harvard. But she's an ISU graduate who, who had great influence on the conceptual and theoretical research that the whole adult learning movement was built on. Okay. Wow. Well, that was another ISU thing. Yeah. I came wow. back to get inducted in the ISU Hall of Fame. I was I was there with Pat Cross and with Jim Fisher and with Bud Shaw and with Jim Cook, who's going to become president of Old Dominion and in Montana, University of Montana. Uh, so there was a, even there, there's a connection back to Illinois State and all of that. And so when uh, when the presidency of Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison was an institution that was created exclusively mm -hmm. to serve mature adults. Yes. And so it was a natural fit for me, given my work with Kale, to come here. And I stayed here as president for 35 years. Okay. The theme that connected all of that, and you know, when you write a book, it gives you a chance to reflect and you see themes in your life that you're not yeah. aware of while you're living your life. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I would think so. Mm -hmm. And the theme that has kind of been through all of that, going back to Mississippi and Chicago and in two geographies and political uh, circumstances and historical occasions that was a that were oppressive mm -hmm. you you could live where you could go to school what jobs you could have were all constrained by your race yeah and I hated it and I spent all of my life trying to empower people and knock down barriers at the end of the day the future of this country is going to depend upon the quality of its human capital yes we cannot afford to exclude anybody mm -hmm. And so it was perfectly consistent to be president of an institution and be part of a movement that was trying to open up access to higher education to what is the majority of the population of the United States. Yes. And today, most college students today are over 25 and born in school part-time. So there's been a transformation of higher education, and I've been a part of that as well. Yep. But it's a continuation of the original theme. How do you open up the academy? How do you open up Illinois State and Towson State and Motor yes. State, Tennessee State, and the country yeah. to an educational system that's, that's focused on quality, but also focused on, on creating access and opportunity so that we don't leave anybody out or leave anybody behind? Yeah, 
Because like you said, the talent is there. We shouldn't lower standards. It's finding the resources because everyone can succeed and everyone can have that say. It's it's making sure that everyone has the accessibility to do it. So I think that's very, very wise to, to share. So yes. And not all of that means going to college. I mean, yeah. No. yeah. I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a mistake to say that the purpose of higher education is to get a job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get an education. And right. people that have a higher capacity out earn people with lower capacity and higher education builds capacity. But everybody has talent of some sort. Yes. And skills and interests of some sort. And there, and there are diverse institutions. Some are colleges and universities. Some aren't colleges and universities. Some are technical schools and yeah. community colleges. But there are a variety of institutions by which everyone needs to be challenged to find out what their competencies are, what their talent is, and go to institutions that will develop that talent so that they can have a quality of life and that we can have a productive society where everyone's engaged and invested. And they need mentors like you. <laughs> I mean, it's true. They need people like you. They need champions and they need people to keep like you to tell them that too. So it's very empowering because I think majority of the world doesn't have people saying that to them. And just those few words, I think, can change someone's mind that I have the skills and capacity to do something great. So I think we have to remind ourselves that, too, that it's, it just takes a few words to say there is something for everybody. You just have to work a little harder to find it if you want to excel in whatever that is. So I do believe that the challenge is to make people understand and realize the fact that they are the architects of their own future and their own lives. Yeah. And you have to own that. And your lives are basically a function of the decisions you make. But you only really have a choice if you perceive that you have a choice. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so there's two, uh, there's two uh, uh, challenges for us to make sure that all of us understand that we do have choices and what those choices are. Because there's a lot of people in our society that don't believe they have a choice about the lives that they live. And they do. Yes. And then the others is that once you get them convinced that, yes, you can be the architects of your own future, then how do you give them the tools and, and, and assets and support for them to create their own destiny for themselves and let them be the architects of it and to own it? Yes, I agree. And so I, I want to go back maybe to more of the end. There's so much in between Dr. Pruitt's career, and we're hoping to get more of a written story and a very much encouraging from protest to president. It's it's a great book and a lot more we can't cover, but I want to get to the part and ask you this question because you mentioned challenges. As a president of a university for 35 years, going through the your whole life so far, what has been some of the biggest obstacles you've had to overcome? What are, What has been your biggest challenges? Oh, boy, that's a lot of <laughs> Or maybe just in presidency, what has been your maybe that helps you a little bit. There's no preparation for the presidency. Okay, yeah. Uh, the other thing too is kind of weird about the office. You are selected for criteria based on that are useless to you once you get in the office. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you don't get this job because you're good at this job. You get this job because you were good at the last job. Got it. All right. That's very different than the last job or any other job you've ever had. Yeah. And so the presidency is layered. People understand the CEO role, mm -hmm. the management role, the executive role, to make sure that the budget's balanced, that you don't misspend the money, that you recruit students, that the lights come on, that the physical plan and infrastructure, they understand that role. What they don't understand is the role that the, the president is, is much more, the presidency is much more important than that. 
It's the president's responsibility to articulate an organizing vision for the institution. Yeah. Create a sense of mission and direction uh, for the institution, to articulate what the institution's values are, uh, to build a productive institutional culture that supports scholarship and civility and diversity and even dissonance mm -hmm. and argument, but in a way that is empowering as opposed to in a way that's combative. And doing all of this by figuring out how to pay for it and managing the politics that are associated with it. And so it's a it, it's a very complicated and complex. Yeah, not challenging at all. That's right. <laughs> I, you know, I think uh, there's a section in the book where I introduce Tom Kane, who's a former governor of New Jersey. Tom, mm -hmm. nice editorial endorsement of the book. Uh, Tom Kane was an extraordinary governor, the best governor I've ever seen or worked with. Right. And I've been in a lot of states. I've worked with a lot of governors. Yes, yeah. I introduced him to an American Council on Education meeting. And I made that comment. I said he was the best governor I've ever seen. But I told him, I said, Governor, you need to know my understand my background before you get big-headed about that compliment. Mm -hmm. I left Illinois and Governor Kernan went to prison and I went to Maryland. I left Maryland and Governor Mandel went to prison and I went to Tennessee. I went I, I left Tennessee and Gov and Governor Blanton went to prison. So really all you have to do is stay out of the slab to be at the top of my list. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, Tom Kane has a sense of humor. Uh, and New Jersey has some of the most colorful politics mm. that you've ever seen. Now, yeah, I grew up in Chicago, so mm -hmm. I know about politics. But uh, the, one of the challenges of the academy today is that the complexity of the presidency, has, it has gotten more complex. Yeah. And the capacity of the people that have been attracted to this office has not kept up. Got it. And so that gap has created the highest turnover in the presidency in the history of the country. Oh, uh, so that's not good for higher education. That's no. not good for the country, and that's not good for the society. Yeah. But it is the, one of the most rewarding jobs in the world that mm -hmm. you can have if you can figure out how to do it right. Yeah. And if you're there for the right reasons and bring the right things to the table. Mm -hmm. Too many people that are in the job now are there because it's it's the cherry on their resume. Mm -hmm. My ambition. When I was waking, when I was ringing Sam Braden's doorbell at three o'clock in the morning, as I did one night, because there was a crisis <laughs> that had happened, and he's coming down the stairs in his pajamas. It's probably why they didn't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but he, it was also very clear. He was not in the presidency because he wanted a big office or a car. He was there because he deeply believed in the power of that institution to help and empower people. That's why he was there, not, not to have the big office or the car or the recognition of the flags yeah. that to go with the office. It was his personal commitment to service mm -hmm. ambition. And that's complicated now for a lot of people that aspire to the office. But it is a very challenging, difficult job, and it requires people with special temperament, and not everybody can do this. Yeah. So. But you did 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, is it true? And I, I can't remember this. And you also work with other president or those that are interested in presidency for higher education and, and help to mentor and help them along the way to understand all these challenges, correct? 
Yes, I mean, I, I was very clear that I, I had a very accelerated career. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I went to Towson as Dean of Students of the second large, oldest college and second largest university, I was 24 years old. Yeah. Uh, I When I was pre became president, I was 36 years old. Yes, yeah. I can't find many people. I mean, there are a few, not many people that ascend to the presidency at that age. Yeah. Uh, an interesting banter I've had with with both with uh, both uh, Buzz Shaw and Jim Fisher, who I considered my two most important mentors. Mm -hmm. We lost Jim several months ago, All right. but Buzz and Jim not only became mentors of mine; they became two of my closest friends. Yeah, I was aware that I had such an accelerated career. Partly was because of the mentorship I had of experienced, talented people that saw something in me, mm -hmm. uh, even that before I saw it in myself. And I was committed, all as long in my retire, I've been in my career, I've been committed to try to do for others what was done for me. Yeah. And so I've been involved in the mentoring of leadership, uh, trying to develop leadership my entire career. Yeah. I was one of the founders of the Millennial Leadership Institute of the American Association of State mm -hmm. Colleges and Universities. I worked as an advisor in the Kellogg National Fellowship Program. Um, and in my post-presidency assignment, uh, sometimes if you're around, you hang around a long time, they do nice things when you leave. So I come to this beautiful office in this really nice building with my name on it. Yes, sir. Supposed to have my try to say something humble about that, but I got to tell you, it's really cool. Oh, I bet. That's nice. Oh. Like this one's mine right here. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> So, but what I have tried to do in the work that I do now is to continue that. I, t I have a uh, teach a senior executive higher education master class for higher education executives that I think are one step away from presidency. Gotcha. It's a very small class. It's only five students a, a, a year. Mm -hmm. I'm in cohort five now. Wow. And these are wonderful people who I think are going to make great presidents. Yeah. And I also have sort of a, the popular word is coaching, but I don't think what I do is coaching. I can't think of a good word for what I do, but I'm reminded of that term out of the Godfather, consigliere. Oh, all right. So I'm sort of the consigliere, the nine sitting presidents. It ranged from large research one comprehensive uh, institutions to a small historically black college in the South. Right. So I'm continuing that mentoring work. Uh, one of the reasons that I wrote the book, I have not had a quiet academic life. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you build up a portfolio of 50 years of engagement like I have, what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. Well, I've what I've tried to do in the book and what I try to do in my ongoing work is to take those experiences and pass it on. And, uh, and so that hopefully someone else will benefit from it and prosper from it, and will understand some things that worked for me, but also to avoid some things that didn't work for me. Yes, we learn from our mistakes. So. And it's very fulfilling work, and that's why I'm active. And as long, and I'm going to keep doing it as long as my faculty stay with me, yeah. and I, and there's a need or demand for what I offer. But yeah. I'm in, in wonderfully blessed and fortunate for that. And again, back to where you are, mm -hmm. all of that for me started in normal Illinois at Illinois State University. I know, and it's amazing. And so I, I want to finish on this question. So 
Did you ever imagine you'd be making this much progress as a leader for social justice, for higher education when you were that young man growing up in Chicago, coming to normal Illinois later on in life? Didn't have a clue. <laughs> there was no plan. Yeah. Didn't have a clue. It was Buzz Shaw and Jim Fisher when I was at Towson that began talking to me about the presidency. And again, it was not because of aspirations to the office. It was about what's the kind of contribution you want to make? Yeah. And what kind of service do you want to offer? Uh, and what's the best platform for which to do that? Mm -hmm. And they encouraged me that the presidency of an institution, given their knowledge of me and my understanding of me and my appreciation and respect for them, was something I should consider. It didn't, that's the first time it ever crossed my mind. Hmm. Uh, so no, I know I had it's it's been a fascinating to me to, to me as well. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, had, I I had I got all I came, I was offered the opportunity to lecture at Harvard one day and I'm sitting at the faculty club at Harvard and I'm talking mm -hmm. to the Harvard this Harvard faculty. There's a section in the book about that. Yep. When I finished my lecture, uh this guy, faculty member came up to me and thanked me mm -hmm. speaking and appreciated what I had to say. And when he walked away, um, my host said, do I, did I, I was telling him, he asked me what this guy said. And I told him, he said, well, do you know who that is? And I said, no, he said, it's David Reisman. One of the most important sociologists the country has ever produced. Oh, yes. And I'm standing there thinking, I'm looking at the Harvard Club and I'm thinking about 79th Street on the south side of Chicago. I'm thinking about this little, my grandmother's house, yeah. the railroad tracks in Canton, Mississippi, and thinking, I just didn't know what to think. Yeah. I kept thinking, this is a long way from 79th Street. And it took, but you know, it it took a lot to get there and a passion. And I mean, in, I feel from your book, from listening and talking today, I think you're pretty deserving of it, Dr. Pruitt, too. So, and, and, what I want to point out that you've kind of created a theme today as we talked is it's it's about believing in yourself, but having support, all the names that you've mentioned, always having, you know, an ISU alum, always thinking about where you came from, having um, all these different friends and connections and having mentors and people to talk to it. It's about having a, a village to build you up and make sure to where you're at as well. And then you continue, like you said, to make sure you're giving your time so others can have that too. So I think it's very important to point that out, that being an educator needs that support. Yeah, you know, and I, I get back to Fisher and Shaw. If, 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 you know, if you ever had a chance to know Jim, you would think he grew up in a country club. I mean, he was polished, well-dressed, articulate, quoted Greek philosophy, sophisticated. Oh. Uh, he flunked out of ISU. He, no, he flunked out of Millican. No, oh, all right. <laughs> he flunked out of Millican, went into the Marine Corps, uh, came, to, came to ISU after he graduated, met President Bone, graduated from ISU, went on and got a PhD in psychology from Northwestern. Uh, Bone re remembered him, recruited him back to Illinois State. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, his, his impact on higher education has been extraordinary. Buzz Shaw from Edwardsville, Illinois, came to ISU to play basketball, 
uh, was graduated third leading scorer in his school's history. He was a basketball player. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. President, President Bone saw something in this kid. Uh, and uh, Jim and Jim became president of Towson when he was 37. Mm -hmm. Oh. Buzz became president of, a, of a, uh, Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville when he was 37. And I teased them. I beat them both. I was 36. Uh, I was going to say, it sounds pretty close to you. Huh? My point is, if you look at these two guys who also came to Illinois State, yes, uh, they created their future that they, if you talk to any either of them when they were undergraduates, at, either, at any school they went, and and you had told them what the arc of their career was going to be, they would have laughed at you. Mm -hmm. So that's important. You don't have to have a certain pedigree. You don't have to come from wealth. You don't have to come from privilege. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your background is as long as you're prepared to take ownership of what you do with what you have. One of the things, one of the chapters in my book is, is titled, it's not about the cards you dealt. It's how you play the hand. Right. I like it. And it's very true. So with that, do you have anything else you'd like to share before we say goodbye? It's been it's been amazing and, you know, a privilege to talk to you. I will say that is my my is my privilege is to talk to you today. So it's it's been eye opening and I truly appreciate it. Well, you're very kind and I appreciate you and your work. I appreciate the work at the university. Uh, I, I really, I, you know, I, I want to say this to my, when I left the University of Illinois and went to ISU, it was culture shock. It was going like from the big city to the small town. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But there is no question. You know, Champaign is one of the great public research universities of the country and deserves yes. accolades for that. But there is no question in my mind, the quality of education I received at Illinois State was far superior to what I experienced at the University of Illinois. Yeah. Now, Illinois is great if you're a grad student for research, but if you're an undergraduate, it's an ant colony. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never really had a sit down a conversation in a classroom with a member of the faculty until I got to ISU. I was in these big lecture halls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was a, a distinguished author and professor down on that stage that I never got a chance to speak with. <laughs> so not at I, ISU. ISU, you get yes. Absolutely. Well, so I would, but I I do want to. I am grateful to Illinois State and, and what happened to me there and and what it allowed me to do. That could have gone a different, totally different way yeah. if Sam Braden had been a different kind of president and the university response had been very different. Uh, that could have gone a totally different different way. So nobody does anything by themselves. And it's a matter of... Uh, of, of being committed to something and have the good fortune to be associated with other people that yeah. share you and support you, build you up. And then you have an obligation, that old saying, out of the, to, to whom much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I had been given a lot. And I, and I know I'm very fortunate for what I've been given. And I, I really hope that I'm doing my best to try to return it. Oh, great. Well, thank you for sharing. I think just today you've given some great words of wisdom. And again, um, I hope everyone goes and looks at your book from protest to president. And with that, uh, I thank you again for being on our show, Dr. Pruitt. And I look forward to seeing what you do in maybe your next 30 years, maybe outside of presidency. Let's see what happens next. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And me both. Thank you. <laughs> Take care.
was two-time alum, honorary degree recipient, president emeritus, and social justice champion, Dr. George Pruitt. Thanks for listening to Redbird Buzz and tune in next time for more stories from beyond the quad. Thank you.